Y'all may be seated. So good to see you. You heard the y'all because we're from Texas. Um, it is an honor to be here today. And as your pastor said, we uh, have a similar story. We're on a similar path with you guys uh, in that we are one church in two languages. And so if you're ever in Dallas, please come look us up. It's Life Church in English, Mundo de Fe in Spanish. And I think you'll feel right at home because we certainly feel right at home here with you guys. It's an honor to be here with you. And I'm so glad that Abigail and I are able to share together. We don't always have the opportunity to travel together. Um, but uh, when we do, I, I really uh, cherish those moments uh, because I love being by her side and ministering together. She's an amazingly profound, uh, deep woman that has uh, been an incredible blessing in my life from the day that I first saw her and uh, up until today. And I'm grateful to God for you. Uh, thank you for, for, for ministering with me today. I know God is going to speak to all these awesome people, to all of our friends watching online. God bless you guys. And we pray that everything that we're sharing today will be a blessing to your life. Speaking of online, we were just uh, in the back uh, connecting with our church, uh, which is starting a service right now. And one of our daughters is leading worship. We want to show you a picture of our family. We're parents uh, to five children. We are going to be married 27 years this August. Our eldest, Hannah, is here in the middle. Um, she is 25 and married to this shorty right here from South Africa. Uh, his name is Emil. He's studying to be an attorney. He's going to take the bar this summer and um, already has signed on with a job for this fall. Hannah's one of our worship pastors, so we're uh, getting to enjoy worship together this morning with her leading. Um, Susanna is our 23-year-old. She's married to Elliot from Mexico City, so I'm a suegra. This is my yerno. <laughs> Love him so much. He, um, he is just precious, and they serve as our youth pastors. And they also have a special place in our hearts because they are going to make us grandparents next month. So they're expecting their first. I know. They're having a little boy. We don't know the name yet. We've, we've recommended Nebuchadnezzar, a couple others, but they, they didn't go for it. Priscilla is 20. She um, did a year of Bible school at Christ for the Nation. She's um, now finishing a degree in psychology. Um, she's dating a guy also from Mexico, so a very multicultural family. We love it. Um, this is, oh, sorry. I was about to play guitar for somebody. <laughs> Y'all might want to check whatever button I just pressed. <laughs> this is Lydia, and she is um, 17, precious, finishing high school, homeschool. Yeah, I might have just changed that sound, so... <laughs> And then God surprised us with a son at the end. We had a pink house, purple, all the toys are pink, purple, yellow, and now it's completely a boy house just because of him. He is 12. He is Timmy, Timothy Jr., and he is a golf prodigy, takes after his dad. They uh, get to minister to the greens every, a couple times a week, and um, he's just, he's a joy. They're all a joy, and we like to call him our, our first ministry. Because honestly, um, the, the thing that we feel the most grateful to God for is that they all love Jesus. They are all planted in the local church. That they wanted to get married. That they love the idea of marriage because they saw mom and dad love each other, continue to love each other. And... Um, our daughter, Susanna, this one right here, paid us the highest compliment the other day. We were discussing 
a church issue because in our home, not only do we have, you know, family gatherings, we also have pastor's meetings, okay? So we, we happen to have one of those family gatherings after the Super Bowl, and then we happen to discuss, start a discussion, and we were talking about a situation, and she said the sweetest thing, she said, Mom and Dad, thank you so much for having that balance. I think we were discussing an area that wasn't balanced. And she said, thank you for always making us feel like we were more important to you than ministry. And um, that's not something just because we're pastors. That's something because we put a priority on family. We want to encourage that for, for all of you who are parents, whether you're entrepreneurs, doctors, lawyers, whatever type of job that you have, put your priority on your spouse and your kids, put your priority on your friends, put your priority on your local church. Don't Put your priorities in the wrong places because at the end of the day, you want to be able to say who went to heaven with you, who you brought along, and the people that were closest to you loved you the best and you loved them with all your heart. Well, we're excited today to share about that because we love marriage and family. Yeah, that's awesome. We, we love marriage and family, and your pastors told us about the series that you guys are doing this month about relationships and all those awesome connections that happen when we gather in community. And so we wanted to share with you on that subject and kind of combining that last Sunday was the Super Bowl, so kind of a lot of sports theme. And then this week was Valentine's Day. And then this weekend, we had the Marriott's event here. So we're going to kind of mash up these ideas. And we're going to talk about winning in relationships, kind of in that sports theme, and then talking about relationships. And the very first thing I want to just remind you or point out to you is that life was not meant to be played as solitaire. You ever play the solitaire game? You can play with, you know, a deck of cards, and the whole point is you don't need anybody else. You can just play by yourself. Kind of fun for a couple of minutes. And you realize, you know, it'd be a lot more fun to play with somebody else, Definitely. to play a game where I can be in life with someone else. From the very beginning, God saw that it was not good for man to be alone. And so the rest of the Bible is the story of family, of friendships, of marriage, and of community. Throughout the entire Bible, you think about the great people of the Bible, you think about David, this incredible psalmist and the giant killer and all that. One of the things we learn about there is an incredible friendship he had with a guy named Jonathan. We also see one of the tragic sides of David, and that was his relationship with his sons. Some of that didn't go very well. And so we learned that that's woven throughout the whole Bible, the highs and the lows, the marriage side of it, the parenting side of it, um, the friendship side of it. And so there's a lot of things that we can learn. So from the beginning, God created this, this way of living that revolves around community. It all sounds really good, but Houston, we have a problem. Because the Bible says that in the last days, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. Now, the context of that scripture, I'm a big believer in sharing about context, right? Because any text from the Bible taken out of context becomes a pretext. And so you got to make sure you understand what the Bible is saying. And the context of this scripture is about our relationship with God. But at the same token, our relationship with God is completely tied to our relationship with one another. It is impossible, First, Second, and Third John 
uh, talk so much about this. It's impossible for us to say, I love God, but I hate people. Jesus himself said, when asked, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And, right. and our lives should be that cruciform, the vertical connection, just like your church name, and the horizontal. It's impossible to, to not tie the two together if your life is going to model the form of the cross, which Jesus said, this, it's tied. You love God? Okay, you're going to have to love people. Jesus said, you'll be known as my disciples because of your love, love for one another. One another. Yeah. So we see Jesus warn that the love of many will, will grow cold. And we think, oh yeah, that's talking about like in the year 2000 or in the year 4000 or whatever your eschatology believes about the end times. Guess what? Just a few years later, in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, to the church in Ephesus, Jesus had a message for them. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Notice the correlation there. Our love for him and our love for each other. You can't separate that. So as we grow, I, I, I think you're here today because you want to grow in your love for God. And you want to understand better his love for you. But we can't just turn off the horizontal part. Life is about relationships. The challenge then is the challenge now. Galatians 5, 6 says, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. You know, if we're known as people of faith, if your neighbors, we, we just met uh, one of our neighbors when they moved in like a, about a year ago. And she's not a Christian yet. We're, we're working with her. We're, we're leading her. But um, when she met us, the first thing she said was, you guys have a good vibe. <laughs> and little by little, she's realized that our good vibe is faith in Jesus. And one of the greatest things that I can say that she has noticed about our good vibe is that we tie our faith to love in action. So sometimes that means a plate of cookies. Sometimes that means getting their mail they're out of town. Sometimes that means listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit prompting, text them right now. And it was so funny. I was sitting in church one day and Tim says, you know, you might have a neighbor on your heart. And literally in that moment, I had this, whoom, I'm supposed to text my next door neighbor. And I text her and I go, just thinking of you, hadn't heard from you in a little minute. Later that day, she texted me back and she says, you do not know how I needed to hear that. My husband lost his job a couple of months ago. I'm in the depths of despair. I have never gone through depression like I have recently. And getting that text was like a lifeline for me. That is showing that our faith that we have, that good vibe that, that people notice about us, expressing itself in love. It's about. It's exactly right. You and I were designed by God to live in relationships with our neighbor, with our family, at work, at school, in our marriage, at church, in our church community. You and I were designed by God to live in relationships. So let's discover now some keys to winning in relationships. You know, almost any time there's going to be a big sports game and they, they interview the coach or they interview one of the players, uh, there's some kind of like really repetitive things that that they'll say, little catchphrases. 
And so the interview, I'm like, hey, you know, what do you think are the keys to, to winning today? And they'll say, you know, we just got to go out there and execute. And it sounds like super redundant because they all kind of say that. You're like, what does that mean? What you want to know is, well, what plays are you going to execute? Like, tell us your secret. What's the strategy that the offense is going to use and the defense is going to use today? So today, we don't want to just leave this real general and say, just go out there and execute. Just go out there and love people, man. No, we want to tell you the plays in the playbook, what you need to do so that you can win in relationships. So we're going to share with you eight things. That's a lot. There could be a ton more. And you'll see them there on the screen. And don't worry, you don't have to write them all down super fast because we're going to go one by one. But here are all eight so you kind of get the big picture. Encourage one another, be humble, challenge one another, forgive often, be intentional, communicate, respect boundaries, and love. These are the plays that we need to run so that we can win in relationships. So let's look at that first one. Encourage one another. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Talk about the Legos. Yeah. So our son loves Legos. He's about to be 13. So now if we buy him Legos, we can't just get away with the $20 set or the $40 set. It's like you know, all of the Christmas money goes He saves up Christmas and birthday money for forever to get one huge box. And it better not say 12 and up on the box. It has to say like 18 and up because, you know, it's just too easy for him. So he is getting to the, to the uh, point where he's almost like, I've I've almost outgrown these just because our budget is outgrown (laughs) on Legos. But the last one he did was this like this huge cruise ship. So this is really, or pirate ship kind of situation. Uh And it was over a thousand pieces. And you know, typically those can take a couple days, you know, he sat there and did it in like four, four or five hours. We just sat there and just, you know, piece by piece built this, looked at the instructions. It has like three different manuals that are like this thick. Yeah. All the step-by-step instructions. Exactly. And he, and he loved it and he focused on it and he did it and he was proud of it. Well, a week or so later, we invite some friends over to the house and one of those couples had um, a seven-year-old who thought that this, you know, pirate ship was incredible and not only thought it was incredible, but that he should pick it up and imagine what happened. He didn't, you know, bust it completely, but he dropped it. And, you know, parts of the pirate ship are going, you know, over here and over here. And I'm watching Timmy in slow motion. And Timmy, you know, got on to us afterwards. He's like, that family is never welcome in our house again. We cannot, nobody under the age of seven, you know, I was like, son, we cannot, you know, but maybe not letting him in your room would be a good, you know, limit right there. So he was able to put it back together. But, you know, it points out something that we do with our communication because every single word that we use, our facial expressions, our body language, we are building little communication blocks with the people that we're speaking with. And every day we have the opportunity to be building something, putting something together when we're speaking to people or within a matter of minutes, we can very easily tear something apart, break it apart. You know, gravity just makes it happen. And that is kind of a a law of attrition or whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it that happens with communication. You have to work tediously to communicate well, and it takes time. But if you do it, if you invest in people and you communicate well with them, you can build them up 
And very easily, if you're not careful, we can tear them down. Encouragement is a key to any healthy team, to any healthy relationship. And encouragement is a key that will open the door to new relationships. Why are Abigail and I here today? Because last year we were at a conference that your pastor was at. And we met each other and he said, you know, somebody told me about you and I hear that you do church in two languages. That's just like what we do. And so we got to talk and we had a great conversation together. And I'm going to go out on a limb, but I'm going to assume that he was encouraged by our conversation. And that's why he invited us to come and share here today. I, I highly doubt that he was like, you know, I met that Tim guy and I got super discouraged meeting him. I think I'm going to invite him so he can come discourage my entire congregation. Right? I don't think that's the way that works, right? He, he, something there in that relationship or in that conversation was encouraging to him. So what happened? So now I have a new friend. Now our church has a new church friend, right? Because we encourage one another and we build each other up. We all need encouragement. Every single person here needs encouragement. See, we look at each other and we think, oh, their life's perfect. They got everything put together. They never have a struggle. If we only knew the situations that people right here with us, even at church, even this morning, the things they were going through. You know, it's always dangerous to like talk about a movie from the platform because you're like, was there anything controversial or inappropriate in that movie? Like, well, the pastor said it was okay. What kind of pastor are they bringing in here to this church, right? But there was this movie one time, and this, this guy worked at a, at a, at a corporation, like at, a, at some company, an advertising firm, I think it was, and something happens. I think he like gets electrocuted or something, and he has the ability to hear everyone's thoughts. And so he can hear what people are really thinking. So it's really funny what women want or something like that it, with Mel Gibson, right? So he, he's able to hear everyone's thoughts. Now, this is not an endorsement of that movie. I do not remember yeah, if it's appropriate or anything. guide. I don't even remember. But I was going to leave it kind of general, but, but anyway. But that's, that's, that's the, the premise of it. But there's this one scene that was super impactful to me in that movie because there was a young lady who was an intern at that office, and he could hear her thoughts, and her thoughts were, were nobody even knows I exist. If I didn't show up tomorrow, no one would even notice. My life is worthless. And he feels like all this compassion because he actually knows what she's thinking. The reality is every single one of us need encouragement. You don't know the discouragement that the person sitting right next to you may be feeling even right now. Encourage one another. Build each other up. The second thing that's a key play we've got to have in our playbook to win in relationships is to be humble. Now, don't shout me down with the amens. Like, yes, pastor, I love you talking about humility. That's my favorite subject. I want to be really humble. It goes against everything in our flesh, right? But the reality is you can't do number one if you don't have number two. You cannot encourage other people if you don't walk in humility. To encourage someone else requires humility. Because to encourage someone else is to put the focus on them, not on yourself. There's some people who are pretty self-centered. There's a joke about a guy that sat down to have coffee with somebody else, and, and he was sitting there talking to them, and 
He goes on for like 10 minutes, dominating the conversation, talking nonstop about himself. After about 10 minutes, he finally dawns on him. He goes, you know what? I'm so sorry, man. I've monopolized the entire conversation. I've spent 10 minutes talking nonstop about myself. I want to give you the opportunity to talk about me now. <laughs> right? That's some people's MO, man. It's like the world revolves around them. A little dating tip here for any of you who are, you know, thinking about a future spouse and you are at that age or stage in life where you're looking to invite somebody out on a date, get to know them better. Um, our eldest daughter's uh, now husband pursued her and asked her out on a date and he was so cute. We didn't know this till after the fact, but he said that he was so nervous that he memorized a list of 20 questions to ask in case the conversation kind of went, you know, dull and silent. He was like, I just don't want there to be awkward, you know, silence. So he, he memorized questions to ask her. And somehow this worked because um, she gets home from the date and I said, how did it go? She goes, I really enjoyed getting to know him. Well, fun fact, she didn't get to know that much about him on that date. He didn't talk about himself too much. He was so focused on knowing her that he made her feel very, um, pursued and, and kind of loved from the beginning because he asked so many questions about her. And honestly, that just shows a lot of humility because there's some people um, that I think we might be tempted to, you know, get, get, get in the game and kind of talk about ourselves and all that we've done and where we're going in life and kind of almost like kind of sell all the great qualities that we have. He didn't. He won her over by asking about her. And that mm -hmm. shows humility, and little by little, he encouraged her to marry him. That's exactly right. <laughs> and he had a lot he could have bragged about. Yes. I mean, this guy's like an overachiever. He like runs marathons. He's a pilot. He is finishing law school at the top, one of the top law schools here in the United States. I mean, he had a lot he could have talked about himself. But like Abigail said, he showed interest in her. So pay attention to other people. They say that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. So you can have confidence in who you are, know your God-given identity and be confident, but you know what? Take that step in humility to show interest in someone else. Now, what was the first thing we learned? What was point number one? Y'all taking notes? What are we gonna do? Encourage one another. We're gonna be humble, but number three, we're going to challenge one another. Good teammates not only encourage each other, you know, they don't just do the pat on the behind when they're playing football. They also get in each other's faces. They say, you've you ran that play bad. Or, mm -hmm. they, or they do a Travis Kelsey and the coach situation or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually kind of out, of out of the bounds of challenging. But good friends and good teammates, they know when and how to gently challenge each other. It goes beyond, you know, on a superficial initial relationship, it's a lot of encouragement. But as that relationship deepens, hopefully the door is open that you can challenge one another. See, to encourage someone is to point them to hope. To challenge someone is to point them to growth. You don't want to just have yes people around you. That's a big temptation, anyone who's in leadership, to just surround yourself. People are like, oh, you're amazing. You're the best. Is that... I mean, obviously, there has to be a respect for authority, but you've got to have, as well, people who can speak truth into your life. 
and to challenge you to be everything God has called you to be. So the Bible has an analogy for this. It comes from Proverbs 27, 17. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And parents, it's important that we also challenge our children. That's right. Um, you, you should encourage your children, but you can't just, you know, give them participation trophies in life. You got to also set the bar and say, I believe in you that you can do this. Me and my son, we, we're, he's, he's 12, so he's at that age where, like, he can pick me up, but I can also pick him up, which is kind of funny. Like, he, he is so proud of himself that he can pick me up and carry me through the living room. Now, he drops me on the couch, but <laughs> I can still pick him up. But I challenge him to push-up competitions, okay? And he gets a little mad because sometimes I can beat him, but sometimes I can't. But two years from now, it'll be a little different. Right. Um, my, one of our son-in-laws, his dad challenged each of his sons before, he has three sons, um, he said, before you leave our house, before you're 18, you will run at least one marathon with me. And so he trained them as, as little boys. He, the dad would get on a bike before school, and he would help his sons learn how to run a mile at a time, to two miles, to three miles. I mean, he wasn't abusive. It was a healthy training protocol. But he got them to the point where he said, you know what? I believe in you. We're going to not just be a healthy family. We're going to do hard stuff. Right. And he taught them how to run a marathon. And they not only, you know, rose to the, to the challenge, they thrived with it. And a couple of them have run, you know, multiple marathons now. Mm -hmm. And it formed something awesome in their character. Exactly right. Bible talks about that in Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says, direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older... They will not leave it. Parents, it's our responsibility to challenge our kids to do the right thing. We challenge our kids to read God's word every day, to pray every day. Challenge our kids to put God first in their finances. They don't have, my 12-year-old son doesn't have a job, but you know what? Sometimes he gets some money at Christmas from his grandparents or on a birthday. And we say, you know, the first thing we're going to do, we're going to honor God. Let's give him the first 10% of that. You think a little kid likes hearing that? Mm -hmm. But we're challenging him. We're challenging him and we're teaching them those lessons because that's what iron sharpens iron looks like. I got to add a little thing real quick about yeah. that. You mentioned uh, teaching our children to tithe. I want to mention something to you. We are, we are such believers in the tithe and in how faithful God is to his yeah. word. It's not something that we pastors invented to make church happen, Okay. We all actually have trees in our backyard that grow cash, so we don't need people to tithe. <laughs> but um, no, that's not it. The word is so, God says, you can put me to the test in this one. It's the only place in the Bible where God says, you can try me out. And um, we, ta we taught our kids, you know what? You're going to be able to do more with that 90% left, the $9 out of the $10 bill, if you trust God with this. And we don't make them. We, we challenge them to, and I watch them do it with a willing heart. Well, one day, one of the first times our son was probably old enough to know what he was doing, five or six years old, it was probably May. His birthday was back in April, and he had gotten some birthday money in April, and uh, so he was tithing on it about a month later. And, you know, that's a lot for a kid to put, you know, $10 out of his $100 bill from grandma and grandpa. He puts it in the envelope. He writes his name really big. Can't spell his last name yet, so we help him fill it out. He drops it in the bucket. 
not 10 minutes after church, somebody walks up to him, Timmy, I heard it was your birthday last month. And they hand him a present. And he goes, it worked. I tithed and I got this. And it was so precious how he saw God responding to him. Now, did that family forget his present a month ago? In theory, they did, but God is so good and so sweet and so kind and so faithful that he proves his faithfulness to little kids when they are challenged to do the right things. I'm telling you, it works. It works for us as adults. It'll work in your kids' lives too. So parents, challenge your kids in your friendships, in your relationships, in your life group. Challenge one another. Iron sharpens iron. So I want to ask you a question. Are your friends sharpening you or corrupting you? Now, you know why I asked if they're sharpening you, because we just read that scripture, like, corrupting you? What kind of question is that? Because the Bible also says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Then it says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, it says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? Now, this is a kind of a, an interesting scripture here in 2 Corinthians because it it might at first glance appear to contradict one of the things Jesus did. You ever read about Jesus' story, one of the things Jesus did? Jesus ate with sinners. But here it says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. So which one is it? There's a difference in having a meal with someone who's not a believer versus teaming up with them. You know, when, when you're on a team together, you wear the same uniform. You have the same goal. So we can be light, we can be salt and light in this world, but that doesn't mean that our closest friends or the spouse that we choose is someone that doesn't share the most important thing in our life, our relationship with God. See, it's much easier for someone else to pull you down than for you to pull them up. So Jesus did eat with sinners, but he didn't eat alone. He would have been outnumbered. Let's say there were 15 people that were sinners. It's about the story of Matthew when he calls Matthew to be one of his disciples. Matthew invited him over to his house and and the Pharisees were like, look at this man, he's eating with all of these unbelievers and these, these wicked people. And so when Matthew, when Matthew invites him over, Jesus uh, doesn't go alone. He takes people with him to, to that because you don't want to do this on your own. Don't try to be the lone ranger evangelist and go into environments that are going to pull you down because iron sharpens iron. So get around people who are going to lift you up, who are going to help you, and then ask God to shine the light of Jesus through you. Point number four is we've got to forgive often. In any relationship, you're going to have to forgive people because sometimes our teammates are going to let us down just like we let other people down. And so another key play that we have to be able to play in relationships is the ability to forgive. Colossians 3.13. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. 
Ephesians 4.2 says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. There it is again. Because of your love. Verse 3 says something interesting. I want you to pay special notice to what it says. It says, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. That leads us to point number five. You've got to be intentional. Be intentional. You've got to make every effort to keep yourself united. Unity doesn't happen on accident. It requires intentionality. A great marriage is not because two people got lucky. A great marriage is because two people decided to be very intentional about loving each other in a Christ-like way. Be intentional with your relationships. Leads us to number six. You got to communicate. Every team has to have the ability to communicate with each other. One of the best ways to be intentional is to learn how to communicate. It's a key to any winning team. Ephesians 4.15, Abigail. One of the best ways to communicate comes from this verse. We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Another way... A gentle answer. Proverbs 15.1 says a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. So it's not just the words that we speak, but it's also the way that we're speaking. And remember this, communication is a two-way street. Communication is not just about you talking. It's also about you listening. We talked about with the marrieds about that on James 1.19. It says you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. You know why? Because our human nature is just the opposite. We tend to be slow to listen, but quick to speak and quick to get angry. God did the opposite. Remember that from James 1.19. And communication is not just about throwing the ball speaking. It's about catching the ball listening. You, more than likely, you might be a little better at one or the other. Some of you are doing a really good job listening, and you need to start talking. Some of you are doing a really good job talking and you need to start listening for your relationships to really grow. The seventh thing is that you've got to respect boundaries. You know, when you play a game, you can't just run all over the stadium. Whether it's basketball, whether it's soccer, whether it's football, whatever it might be, there are clearly defined lines that say, if you go past here, you're out of bounds, Anybody played Monopoly and had like the horrible fight with their family members because somebody didn't follow the, the rules? Yep. Every game in life, sports, everything, there's boundaries. That's right. And you've got to be able to respect those boundaries. The Bible talks about a lot of different boundaries that we have to have in a lot of different relationships. In Genesis 2.24, it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother... And shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So a new boundary has to be established. We continue to honor our mother and father in the Lord, but now the most important person in our life is our spouse. That's a boundary that has to be created. Then, of course, there are certain rules you have to live by. In Hebrews 13, 4, it says, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. You've got to be able to stay within the clearly defined lines that God has established for us for our protection, for the protection of others. Respect those boundaries. 
And then finally, where it all leads to, where it all points back to, point number eight is love. Mm -hmm. It's the most important play that we have in our playbook. It's got to be the first thing and the last thing and what covers everything in between in everything that we do. The ability to forgive, the ability to encourage, the ability to challenge, it all has to be based in love. Jesus said in John 13, 34, now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And we go back to where we started today, Galatians 5, 6. What is most important, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. We want to pray for you today and ask that God would help you to grow and to win in your relationships. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we've had to challenge your people today, to remind your people, and maybe to teach for the very first time some of these concepts. And I ask God that as they receive your love and grow in their love for you, that they will simultaneously grow in their love for one another. You said, Jesus, that we would be known that we're your disciples by our love for one another. And God, I ask that you would help each one of us to grow in love. And that this church, God, and this community of believers would be known not only for their love for you, but their love for one another and their love for a hurting world. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for the opportunity to share, Pastor Verge. Thank you, Pastor Tim, Pastor Abigail. Wasn't that awesome?